Can you pray for me? We often ask. Or, or I'll pray for you, we say. With our eyes closed, our hands clasped, our knees bruised from the wooden floor beneath our beds. Oh Lord, do you hear my cry? Their cries? Our collective cry? My loved ones are, are suffering. My neighbor is in despair. Is everything on fire? God, are you even there? Yet thankful, though it's been tough. Right? The beautiful colors of fall. And despite an often petty outlook, there really is more than enough. Enough for gratitude to overflow. From words and petitions and thoughts and prayers. Into an ethos of now and again. Disappointment yet surrounding contentment. Am I present at this moment? Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his friends. Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, teach us to pray continually at all times, never ceasing, always reaching, and striving towards communion with you. Body and blood, bread and cup, water to wine, Lord, allow my worried soul to continually feast on the bread of life. Breathing deep, sometimes it's to weep, but often in joy as I fall asleep. Less from obligation and more in spiritual union with you. Oh Lord, teach us to pray. This next six weeks, this is going to be our aim. This will be our series from now until Advent. As we approach the season of longing and lament. Our Father in the heavens, holy is your name. We know the prayer so well. But let it form us in these preparatory weeks. And let it transform us. And form us again and again in his image. As your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven. Let's pray. Holy Father, Son Jesus, and Holy Spirit. We bring our whole being before you this morning. Our whole hearts, our entire ethos the center of our soul at our core. For this is what we pray when we pray, your will and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God, I just ask that as we go through this short series on prayer and led by your prayer that you've given us, that we'll be able to see with new eyes and hear with new ears so that way we might be about the work that you've set us to do. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. And so my friends, I am wondering if you've ever come across these following words that we find in 1 Thessalonians 5, where Paul writes, Rejoice always. 
pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. And then he follows up for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I've struggled. I've personally struggled with these words over the years. I've striven after them. Yes, I've, I've studied these words. I've tried to digest them. And I've even prayed over these words that concern prayer. However, reality always looms. Because I don't always want to rejoice, like he says in verse 16. And I've had plenty of other things to do besides pray unceasingly, verse 17. And, and not all circumstances, like he talks about in verse 18, necessitate, necessitate giving thanks. Or, or do they? I'm sure at some level at your core, you can, you can truly feel me on this. Like what it's like to struggle with this concept that we call prayer. To grapple with the ins and the outs of divinely inspired communion. Laboring to understand what at its base prayer even is. Like, does prayer only count if I close my eyes and fold my hands? What if I'm looking around? What if I get distracted? What if my arms are outstretched instead of tightly, you know, gripped here in the middle? Is prayer only effective if I use the right words or if my heart is fully in it? Is prayer something only to be done at a prescribed time of the day that's been set apart? I mean, I know a lot of people that have built in these rhythms of prayer for their life. And, and, and I've had my own various practices throughout the years that, 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 that have changed from, from day to day. But, but if I adopt a first thing in the morning routine, let's say, then does my prayer just end when that time with the Lord is over? Or does my time with him continue? Is, is the battle for my soul over simply because I said amen? There's got to be more, right? I mean, prayer can't just be limited to what we were taught in, in, in Sunday school. I, I, that's a great start, but, 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 but prayer can't only be the act of bruising our knees on the hardwood floor. Lord, Lord, I'm not sure we always know what we're supposed to be doing here. And so we ask, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, in Luke's gospel, we see Jesus' disciples ask him the exact same question. In Luke, we read right here, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus answers, he says like this. Our Father in the heavens, most holy is your name. May the kingdom of yours and may the will of yours be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us what we need for today and forgive us. Just as we forgive others, leading us not towards the things of temptation, but delivering us from all evil. 
These are the words of Jesus. These are the words that we call the Lord's Prayer or, or the Our Father, depending on what tradition you're, you're coming from. So if you look at these words of Jesus, which we also find in Matthew on a separate occasion, right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. If we take into context Matthew's version of this prayer and Luke's version of Jesus' words here, Maybe prayer is more about a living relationship with God than simply a prescribed act on my part. I mean, yes, it it does include the intentional, the set apart, the quiet times, the devotion, the the, the time for us to be still and know that God is God. There There are the times that we set purposefully aside for those things, but maybe... Just maybe when Paul talks about praying unceasingly, rejoicing always, and in all circumstances giving thanks, maybe that's because each and every moment, with every single breath that I take, I'm being given an opportunity to renew my relationship with our Father, our Papa. And maybe... Just maybe as I continuously renew my relationship with our Father, as I continuously with every breath am transforming my heart over and over and over again daily, maybe I'm also renewing my relationship with all of God's creation, my relationship with others, and maybe imaginative sympathy and acts of practical compassion and cutting off my own self-will is part of this whole life as prayer, prayer without ceasing, living prayer, giving thanks, rejoicing, always thing. Perhaps prayer is synonymous with taking up the cross of Christ daily, moment after moment after moment. Not simply a once and for all single grandiose gesture, right? Jesus talks about this in this passage that Magda read to us in the beginning of the service. You get the sense that Jesus is not talking about prayer as this one and for all, all time single grandiose gesture. And I would even say not a once for the day type of a gesture, but an every day, every moment, every day, every breath, things becoming new at the center of our core. Can you hear the words of Christ? as he's talking to his friends when they ask him how it is to pray? Can you taste the goodness in his pattern for living as he lays out in this Lord's Prayer or this Our Father? He's given us words, yes, right? And we speak them every single week here in this service. Perhaps some of us even speak them more often during the week. He gives us words, yes, a petition, words of adoration, thanksgiving, and lament, all in one prayer, but also a pattern for life. He's giving us here a prayer as life lived in communion and in relationship with the divine. As you look through Jesus' famous prayer, can you see Christ's challenge of prayer 
as repentance? Metanoia as a change of the mind? When you think about it, repentance is the starting point of any journey of living with Christ's heart transplanted as our own. Repentance is an everyday reality, changing our mind, going and seeking towards the will and the kingdom of the Father is an everyday reality and necessity for transformation in the Spirit. Repentance not as self-pity or remorse, but rather as a recentering of the whole of life, the entirety of life as recentering around the things of Christ. And upon that same relationship that the Holy Trinity has within itself. Repentance not solely eyeing the journey backwards with regret, but also forward in hope. Repentance not looking down at our own shortcomings, but rather upward towards God's redemptive love. And not ultimately focusing on what we've failed to be, but now by his divine grace, what we can become. As you read through Jesus' famous prayer here, can you see Christ's desire for prayer as watchfulness? Living in each moment, keeping watch over what has been given to you moment by moment, knowing where you've come from, but also where you are going. Being present exactly where you're at. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Screwtape Letters, he says, humans should attend to two things. And, and, and basically, I get the sense when I read this quote from him in this book that he's kind of referring to what our ultimate aim should be, and he gives us two of them basically here. And kind of it seems like he's saying this is what we are striving to do when Paul says these words about rejoicing always, praying unceasingly, and giving thanks in all circumstances, okay? He says, we attend to eternity itself. We, we look towards and we attend. We're at in the moment of eternity itself. But we do it at the point of time which is called the present. For the present, he says, is the point at which time touches eternity, of the present moment, and of it only, humans have an experience which God has of reality as a whole. In it alone, freedom and actuality are offered. That's pretty beautiful. That's a lot of words, though. So perhaps these words from, from Paul um, Evdokimov, who's a Russian Orthodox theologian, are easier to grasp. He says it in this way. He says, the hour through which your present passing... And the person with whom you meet here and now and the task in which you are engaged at this present moment, these are always the most important in your whole life. What he's saying here is that the hour in which that you're in, the person with whom you're in front of and the task that is at hand is always the most important in our whole life when you're there. And can you feel the call of Christ through his words of his prayer 
for prayer to be as discernment, a spiritual sense of taste, if you will. Just as our sense of physical taste helps us discern what foods may be good or bad for our body, right? Like we can, we can smell or taste something that just is rotting or, or moldy or something that's not good for us. Our spiritual sense of taste enables us to distinguish between all the varying thoughts and the impulses within us that come from living in our human skin. A spirit-led discernment that helps distinguish what is good in ourselves and in this world, like what brings us life and what is evil. What are the things that bring death? A holy discernment that helps us differentiate between unnecessary trivial action and meaningful life-giving ways that is truly worth the time that we have on this planet. A sacred wisdom through prayer that helps recognize worldly, pettily, petty, frivolous fantasies versus a divinely inspired, creation-filled imagination. And finally, through Jesus, our Father, his, the Lord's Prayer, can you feel Christ's invitation for prayer as guarding the heart. Not as a physical organ in the chest, we've talked about this before, but as a giving of the whole person. The heart as giving over your intellect, your reason, your will, your affections, and the physical body. Guarding the heart with the spirit, basically as warfare against passions. Not to eliminate passions, for to do so would be to take the human out of us, but rather to redirect the energy of our passions towards a spiritual freedom in which we no longer yield to temptation. Not a life that in prayer that is apathetic, but a whole heart and a being that burns with love for God, for other humans, for, for every living creature and every single thing that God has made. I'm going to kind of finish off this, uh, this morning with these words from St. Isaac the Syrian. And he says it so beautifully in this way. He goes, when someone with such a heart as this, basically what I was talking, that heart that burns with love for God, others, and everything God's made. He says, when someone with such a heart as this thinks of the creatures and looks at them, their eyes are filled with tears because of the overwhelming compassion that presses on that inner heart. The heart of such a person grows tender, and they cannot endure to hear of or look upon any injury, even the smallest suffering inflicted upon anything in God's creation. Therefore, they never cease to pray with tears, even for the animals, for the enemies of truth, and for all who do harm to it, asking and living that they may be guarded and receive God's mercy. You see, life as prayer, through the ethos and the life of Christ, is a nonstop, never-ceasing contemplation upon, upon God's world. 
a contemplation that is able to notice the created world of the creator. That is to basically say a life of prayer is to be able to notice the real world, the actual world that God intended his creation unveiled through a life of prayer. It can start with a once a day prayer in your knees type of a thing. But when Paul talks about praying unceasingly, he's not talking about only being part of a monastery, only being able to be driven to our knees, eyes closed, hands clasped like this. He's talking about praying unceasingly, basically becoming aware of the dimensions of sacred space and sacred time in our real time. And for the next five weeks, leading up to Advent, what I want to do is I want to use this prayer, the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. There's five weeks. We're going to look at five petitions, right? We're going to look at our Father in the heavens, holy is your name. The next week, may your kingdom come and will be done on earth as in heaven. The third week, our daily bread. The fourth week, forgive us as we forgive. And the fifth week, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so what I want to do is I want to look at these five petitions week after week and look at them in a different way, perhaps, than we have previously. Not just as words to be spoken or to recite it or to be remembered or to be memorized or to say only in a liturgical service, but five petitions that can help transform us into a life of prayer, a life of Christ-like repentance, watchfulness, discernment, and guarding of heart. Just as we commune with the Father in relationship with the Spirit and the Son. Let us pray this morning. Father, Son, and Spirit, we ask that as we go through this series together, as we prepare our hearts for your advent, for your coming in this world, for your incarnation, we ask that you would give us new eyes to see these words of your son and that they would help us form a pattern of life as prayer. We pray all these things in Jesus' name who did teach us to pray. Our Father in the heavens, holy is your name. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins just as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into the things of temptation, but deliver us from all kinds of evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen.